Many of you know about Father Gregory Boyle, Catholic priest and founder of Homeboy Industries, a job training program and so much more for the young men and women previously locked in gang activity in Los Angeles or returning from prison. And there's a great expression he uses to describe the hurt and the trauma endured by the young people that he knows, the pain they feel. He calls it the thorn underneath. And it's the same for each of us, too, the inner hurt that digs and digs and causes us to keep hurting ourselves and hurting others, too, that block us from living our lives fully, the hurt that gets in the way of love. And I love Greg Boyle's books because they're filled with stories of troubled and traumatized young people learning to love instead of hate. One young man, he calls them homies, talking about searching for the thorn underneath this inner work. He says, this young man says, if you don't work on something, it will return and it will be humbleizing. And Boyle loves that made-up word, and so do I. So I'm asking you to be thinking about what happens to us when we go through something humbleizing. Let's pray to be humbleized. And today we hear an epic story of humbleizing from 2 Kings. You heard William read it. It's the story of Naaman, a mighty warrior who at the same time struggles from a debilitatingly serious skin condition. It's called in this story leprosy, but it's not the leprosy we know, that highly contagious skin-wasting disease where parts of your body just rot off. No, it's more of an eczema or psoriasis kind of a thing. Not contagious, but extremely uncomfortable all the same. That's his thorn underneath that suffering, and it's also a suffering that others can see. And in ancient times, people believed that if you had any kind of a physical challenge, that that, that was actually a judgment against you from God that meant that you were unclean, impure. So Naaman would have gone through his whole life feeling judged by others as unworthy. Some people, when they experience hardships like that, overcompensate with superhuman achievements. They want to push beyond the stigma and show the world what they can do. And this is Naaman's story. He becomes a mighty warrior throughout all of Aram, uh, Syria today, leading the Arameans to many victories. In spite of his illness, he gains respect. So far, though, nothing humble about Naaman. Just high achieving. And I'm wondering if you've ever lived that way yourself, pushing for victory after victory, bent on showing the world your worth through achievement. Despite Naaman's many accomplishments, 
It's the humble people who start threading their way through this story that make a difference. First, a young girl captured from Israel. She's become the servant of Naaman's wife. And she says, If only my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And amazingly, Naaman listens to this young person, this humble young person, goes to his own king, receives permission to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Aram even says, go then and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman goes. Now, he could have made a quick trip under the radar, but instead he chooses an ostentatious route, packing 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He wants everybody to know that he is somebody. And arriving in Israel, <clears throat> Naaman presents the king of Israel with the letter from the king of Aram and sends this king into a panic. He's terrified by this display of wealth and power. He's terrified that he's being expected to bring about a cure of Naaman's illness. He thinks the king of Aram has war in mind. And so he tears his clothes, an ancient way of showing grief and dismay. Hearing about what's going on, the prophet Elisha, the one the servant girl told about, sends for Naaman, and Naaman, ostentatious again, rolls up with horses and chariots, halting grandly at Elisha's front door. Again, this mighty warrior, anything but humble, using his power to impress and maybe even intimidate. Remember, though, the thorn underneath. We see people do this all the time. And that thorn underneath is making him parade around in this way. In the next moments, much to Naaman's shock, the prophet Elisha doesn't even come down to answer the door. He sends a servant instead, another humble person. <clears throat> and with this message, this is a message the servant brings from Elisha, who must be just in another room. Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. The humble servant brings fantastic news, a simple plan for cure. But instead of being grateful, Naaman is furious, saying, I thought for me the prophet Elisha would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. He wanted a show. <laughs> then he goes on to insult the Jordan River where he's being sent to bathe, saying that it's much less grand than two rivers he can name in Syria. Clearly, he expected VIP treatment. Again, where's the humility? But again, humble people thread through this story. Two more step in now to save the day. Naaman's own servants who approach him and say, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said was for you to wash and be clean? And amazingly, again, Naaman listens to these humble people, washes in the Jordan as instructed, without delay. And wouldn't you know it, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Now, 
William didn't read the next part of the story. It isn't given to us to read today. We receive these readings from all the churches come together and decide what the readings are. We didn't get to hear the next part of the story, and I love the next part of the story because Naaman hurries back to Elisha's house and humbly now, finally, humbly, begs him to accept payment for this miracle. But the prophet refuses. Naaman's healing is for free. And the prophet is immune to being swayed by power and wealth. But the wonderful thing is that in this moment, when, Elisha, when Naaman returns to Elisha, Naaman has an epiphany. And he comes to believe in Elisha's one God. And so that he can hold fast to that connection, he has the most wonderful request. He says, can I have permission to bring home two mule loads of earth from Elisha's yard? <laughs> dirt. That's what he wants. And dirt is humble. Another humbleizing story I'll quickly mention is the gospel passage from today when Jesus sends out 70 of his followers into the world with the words, Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is put before you, cure the sick who are there, and say, The kingdom of God has come near. And it works. So the 70 returned to Jesus, giddy with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. On the humble path they have followed, no purse, no bag, no sandals, they are experiencing such power for good. And that's what we experience when we take the time to be ourselves, the selves that were made by God. They did that and they were able to bring Jesus with them by traveling with humility and focus and love. Jesus, in the same way, is with us always when we're acting tough and strong and grand and very much when we are in ordinary, humble, pared down, vulnerable moments of life. Moments like yesterday at the showers that happen in our parking lot. One of the volunteers, Stephen Riley, was playing the electronic keyboard. It seemed to be a Dionne Warwick medley. <laughs> Cannot go wrong with that. And everyone was singing along to the music, and Mary was doing a beautiful, swaying dance. And Jesus was there in every one yesterday, every last volunteer serving tostadas, every last guest enjoying a shower, all the volunteers and guests spending time together, catching up in the shade in the parking lot. Gregory Boyle talks about the power of the tender glance. 
It's a way of seeing each other through God's eyes. A humble and vulnerable way of seeing and being seen. Naman is so busy being somebody important, so busy showing everyone that he is more than his skin condition, he almost misses the chance for healing. Now think about your life. What vulnerability are you working furiously to hide or overcompensating for with an exhausting level of outward achievement? What is your thorn underneath? Hiding away that pain, that thorn underneath, could cost you a chance for wholeness and healing. Don't miss your chance. There's more than one chance. Your chances, God keeps sending you. After his healing, Naaman changes not only on the outside with his fresh new skin, but on the inside too. I love how he brings home that dirt from Elisha's yard. Dirt that's simultaneously humble and holy. And, and Naaman has his, probably has his servants carry this holy ground with him. And I imagine when he gets home, I imagine that he spreads it around a shrine in his home. Spreads it around the base of the shrine to the one God of Israel himself, humble as the people who've guided him on his way, humble as the prophet Elisha who charges nothing for his miracle, humble as dirt. Amen.